Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. I often talk about convergence on this show, and typically it's on the point that we seem to be in a time when converging signs are showing that a new worldview, and this is a mind-centered or spiritual-centered worldview, is on the horizon. There's a lot of things out there, probably led by ongoing interpretations and understandings of quantum theory, that are leading us to maybe view the world in a different way. Another facet of this is the increasing interest in spirituality, in psychic phenomena, in the paranormal, and how these events are starting to make and continuing to make front page news and also be be focused on leading television shows. Just today in the Chicago Tribune, for example, there was an article on the front page about a new book about the spontaneous remission of cancer and about how maybe medical science should start studying this. And as we know, that's sort of the exact opposite approach that medical science often takes to problems like cancer, to diseases, where they don't want to really talk about spontaneous remission because that invokes the concept of a miracle. But there's another sort of convergence going on, which is related, and this is the convergence of two worlds, and this is the convergence of the spiritual world and the physical world. Now, when spirits visit this world, assuming they do, that is telling us that there is some connection, that there's, that there's some bridge between what we call the physical world and the spiritual world. Now, there are some people that would immediately reject this notion as, as really um, quackery or something that cannot happen in our, in our little material world. But the research and the authentic uh, writers and, and the credentialed people are, start, are continuing to come to the forefront with real-life evidence that this is real, that there is really a spiritual realm. And on that point, I would mention uh, The Proof of Heaven by Edmund Alexander as being a book that talks about the afterlife that, that um, has been very popular. There is another person working in the same field that also has a very popular book. The name of his book is called Never Letting Go, and his name is Mark Anthony, who's my guest today. Now, Mark Anthony is also known as the psychic lawyer. He's a practicing medium who not only communicates with spirits, but he's also a lawyer, and that means something to me since I'm also a practicing lawyer. And I wish, as I told Mark before the show, I wish I had psychic ability, but unfortunately I do not. Now, he's licensed to practice law in Florida, D.C., and also before the U.S. Supreme Court. He graduated from Mercer Law School with honors, 
and studied law at Oxford University. He also studied mediumship in England at the Arthur Finley College for the Advancement of Psychic Phenomena. Now, he's been interviewed on national radio shows and is a sought-after speaker. Uh, as I mentioned, he's the author of the best-selling Never Letting Go, which is the definitive guide to healing grief with help from the other side. Mark, welcome back to the show. It's great having you. Thank you, Philip. I always enjoy being here, and, and it's great talking to a, a, another lawyer who is spiritual. But I do disagree with one thing you said. Sure. Lay down me. You said, I wish I was psychic. <laughs> I I believe that everybody has psychic ability to varying degrees. And as an attorney, how many times do you go into a situation in court where you, despite logic, you go with a hunch and you are correct? Right. There's psychic ability. Right, right. And, and that's something, and we might as well start there, because that is one of the most fascinating topics in this whole field, Mark. And I'm sure you've had it a lot, which is which is the old question: Does is everybody potentially psychic, you know, or put differently, does everybody potentially have this inborn of sixth sense? It's just that some people have access to the sense, and some people don't. What what is your take on that question right now? Well, I believe that there is a physiological basis to psychic activity. And there's some people, I, I love when you were um, um, giving the pre-explanation before you brought me on about how some people just summarily reject this. Uh, we're never going to be able to cure terminally closed-minded people. And, you know, there's no, there, the cure for ignorance, on the other hand, is education. And... A lot of people tend to think that psychic ability is some kind of hocus-pocus or charlatanism, but it is based on our physiology. We have a pineal gland in our brain, and the pineal gland has been studied extensively by uh, scientists both in the United States and Great Britain primarily, but in other places, and it appears that we have a radio antenna in our head. The pineal gland regulates brainwave frequency. It has calcite and magnetite chips, the first radios being crystal radios with low-level electricity flowing through them. Of course, the brain has an electrical field. So it is theorized that this is the proverbial third eye because it's a couple inches behind the center of your forehead where all the people in yoga and the Hindus and the Buddhists refer to the third eye. There's even references to a third eye, so to speak, in, in um, the Judeo-Christian uh, uh, religious tradition. So there's nothing new about this. We also have another receptor center in the area of our solar plexus. In the solar plexus is the most complicated bundle of nerves outside of the cerebral cortex which is in your brain so a lot of people talk about oh I got this gut feeling oh I had a bad feeling in my stomach that I should not do this well this is more than a fluke you're actually receiving vibrational frequency and picking up on it in that receptor area so we've got two main psychic receptor areas if you will in our body everybody has these so Everybody has the ability to have a psychic or a mediumistic experience, but not everybody is per se a psychic or a medium. To go further, Philip, everybody has the ability to read a law book, but not everybody will have the ability to be a lawyer. And, and that's the way I look at this. 
Well, first of all, one of the uh, topics that continues to come up, and I think that I think it was Pierre Del Chardin in his book, uh, The Phenomena of Man, who first said it, and then it's been borrowed and rephrased, and that's saying it's something along the lines of uh, we are not uh, material, physical beings having spiritual experiences here on Earth. We're spiritual beings um, having a physical experience. Yes. So, so at core, that message is at core, we are spiritual beings. Okay. So I happen to think that we are spiritual beings in a spiritual world, that this world itself is spiritual. It's just that the physical world is really a three-dimensional reflection of the spiritual world. Now, I don't know how, and I think that that is sort of the same thing quantum theory would say if you apply it to the body. So, so I, I always think that that view, to me, explains uh, psychic phenomena and, para, and the paranormal. And so when we use the terms like the penile gland, I al I always go back to Emerson. I know I'm getting a bit I'm I'm quoting some people here, but I think this is this this will come together eventually, hopefully. Uh, Emerson said something along the lines of that uh, the that nature is a metaphor of the human mind, and you know he said that about 150 years ago, and he was it's it still might sound crazy, although I think he's being proven true. But what it means to me is that we are at essence spiritual beings and i would say that we all have in us this innate ability to use this sixth sense but i think that a lot of us just shut it down or we don't have the the confidence or the courage to unlock it one of the things that strikes me about you mark is that you you are a a, a son of two psychic parents now is that is that right that is correct. Both of your parents were psychic. Wait, now, how is that? How did that happen? Did your parents know they were both psychic when they got married? Y yes, they did. Well, hmm. they didn't disclose it to each other right away. <laughs> um, and and uh, the two sides of the family were about as different as you could be. My yeah. dad's side of the family, very conservative, waspy Protestants from Pennsylvania. My mother's family um, had emigrated from Italy and were very emotional Italian Catholics. And in the Italian side of the family, people discussed it openly, but they didn't call it psychic ability back then. They called it the second sight, the gift okay. of second sight, the gift of vision. And they looked at it as a gift from God. Whereas my dad's family, they were very well aware of it, but it was kind of kept quiet and, and behind closed doors. Yeah. And neither, neither family did it uh, commercially or did they, they do it you know, professionally. Because people say, "Oh, you must be a gypsy," and you know, no offense to to the you know people of the, the Roma culture, but um, no, we did not uh, hang signs in the window that said, "Come and we'll read your fortune." That was not not the case. And when my parents met, they they just had this connection, and when they started talking about it, they realized that they both had very similar abilities and experiences, and that may have been part of why they were drawn to each other. Yeah. Well. What struck me about that is, right, is how two psychics found each other, um, and, and you sort of answered that question, they were maybe drawn to each other because of that ability, but do you think that the psychic ability is inheritable, 
or was yes. it or was it the or was it the atmosphere you were raised in or both I, I believe that it is an inherited ability. There, are, um, I have tracked this in both my uh, sides of the family back over 100 years. Yeah. We can track this back around to 1900 in both my dad's family and my mother's family. And my, my father's sister, his mother, his grand uh, maternal grandmother all seem to exhibit what we now call psychic abilities. Uh, my mother was a psychic and a medium, as was her grandmother. And there are other people on that. Uh, side of the family that I've met uh, that have these abilities as well. Mm. And the thing is, Philip, that's not really far-fetched. Yeah. You know, when the people that sit there and just say, oh, this is ridiculous, ridiculous, uh, think of all the things that are inherited. I mean, there's a reason that we look like our parents. There's a reason left-handedness or twins run in a family. There's a reason genius and athletic prowess run in families. There's also a reason that certain diseases like cancer and, and other types of ailments run in families. So we have a lot of encoded information in our, our chromosomes. Well, why wouldn't something like this, a more acute sensitivity and usage of the pineal gland and of the, the bundle of nerves in the solar plexus, why would that not be also an inherited ability. Right. So when you have, and, and, and without getting into a lengthy discussion on genetics, there are dominant traits and there are what's known as recessive traits. Dominant traits, let's say in my family, uh, uh, brown hair and brown eyes is a dominant trait because most people have them. And then people with blue eyes, yes, they do pop up every couple generations. That's a recessive trait. Same thing with psychic ability. Most of the people in the family are not psychic but there are several who are. So when you get two parents that both possess the same recessive trait, that then increases the probability that one of their offspring, namely me, would have a greater likelihood of inheriting that recessive trait. Yeah, I, I think that there's all sorts of ways to describe that. I think, it's, I think it's fascinating when you say it runs in your family because I think that that really is sort of a remarkable feature and I think it's a really a wonderful I think it's an amazing feature of your upbringing and I was just struck by the fact that both of your parents were psychic which almost which which almost is a synchronicity in, in itself because they found each other um, and they probably increased the chances that they were going to have children that were also psychic now one of the things that continues to strike me as well is how synchronicity, to use that term again, sort of uh, is common to a lot of psychic phenomena. And by synchronicity, I mean the, those occasions where coincidences are so rare, where, where two events that appear to be causally unrelated happen at the same time you know, such as you, you're thinking of a friend and she calls on the phone or something like that, and we've all had them. I'm just wondering, from your time working as a medium or psychic, do you think there's a relationship between synchronicity and and medianship or, or what you do? Do you, do you think that all these fields are sort of related is what I'm, is what I'm saying? I love the way you pose the question, and I'm going to have to say yes. 
Uh, I like the word synchronicity. Uh, I, I think um, Sting had an album by that name once. Anyway, right, right. you're exactly right, 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 right. They were right. They also had that famous line, uh, "We are, we are spirits in a material world." I yeah, that was, that was always yeah. um, understandably so. One of my favorite songs uh, <laughs> yeah. um, by that that group. Yeah. Um, with the the synchronicity, so let's say you're thinking of of somebody that you haven't talked to in a long time, and then you just start thinking about her, and all of a sudden she calls you. The theory is that, and, and this is something Einstein has said, and to an extent Stephen Hawking, I believe, has said as well, that everything that has happened will happen and is happening is going on simultaneously in the energetic sense. Now, we in the material world tend to think that time moves in one direction because we're born, we grow old, and we die. So we think that time moves from left to right, you know, just the way, right. you know, we may, may write a sentence uh, with our own hand or, or with a, um, with a uh, word processing program. But it appears from the theoretical physics standpoint that time does not move from left to right, that it is more of a continuum. And so people that... Um, not just psychics, but anybody, you start thinking about someone you haven't talked to in a long time and they call you. It's because that person started thinking about you or they both, both of you picked up on that continuum, that energetic continuum, if you will, and you're connecting on an energetic level and reaching out. So that appears to be the theoretical, or rather, and that doesn't appear, but that is the theoretical basis for how things like the deja vu and precognitive ability, where you um, where you preempt or you have a, a premonition about a, um, a a future event. Now, with uh, spirit communication, which is mediumship. Hold on one sec. Excuse me. With mediumship. We're tuning into energy, but we're tuning into the energy of a third party, which is a spiritual entity, and that person is, exists in a frequency, in a dimension, if you will, that does not have time in the sense that we do. So they're sort of in the, you know, in in a uh, in this in this energetic uh, continuum. And that's why many times during spirit communication, they can forecast a future event. Uh, Fortune-telling and mediumship are not synonymous. There are psychics who uh, f focus on reading the energy of a person, place, or thing to determine uh, health and career and, and future events about a person. But what a medium does, and we have that ability, but we are able to tune into this third-party energy, which is a spirit. And so synchronicity it, you know that may be the appropriate term. I'd say it's certainly an interesting term, uh, but but I'll go with that. Well, well, what what struck me is that there seems to be like overtones of synchronicity in some of your readings, and and the and the a sort of simple example would be a loved one passes away, and you have this deep desire to communicate with him or her, and. And all of a sudden, something occurs. You know, maybe maybe a bolt of lightning appears, or you actually see a vision. I mean, you have some examples in your book, I think, with your own um, family, uh, where I think your mother appeared, a vision of your mother appeared uh, next to you in a car. I forget exactly yes. what it was. And yes. so, and so that that's sort of that's sort of what I mean. There seems to be maybe a continuum. 
of psychic phenomena. And I'm using the word psychic phenomena to cover all this, you know, clairvoyance and, and right. uh, precognitive dreams, etc. But it, which I think is really what has to be the case when you think about it, if this realm is true, and of course I think it is, but, but I think that that really, to me, is important for, for future studies to show that, that there is a connection between these phenomena, not only a spiritual connection, but a scientific connection. And, 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 and that's a very good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I'm going to be speaking about that um, on uh, at the Edgar Casey Association for Research and Enlightenment in Virginia Beach. And mm-hmm. earlier you mentioned uh, Evan Alexander. He's one of the other speakers at this okay. Afterlife conference uh, Saturday, November 8th in Virginia Beach. Cool. And um, I, I do not believe that science and God or science and spirituality are mutually exclusive. And I touch upon that quite a bit in Never Letting Go, but in my upcoming book, which will be out in March of 2015, I, I go into that very heavily. Uh, the new book is entitled Evidence of Eternity. It's already on uh, Llewellyn Worldwide's website in conjunction with my book, Never Letting Go, if people want to uh, find out more about it. And I think that... Uh, faith and religion tend to be a very human and a very emotional way of trying to understand the infinity that is God. And so we tend to put a human face on it and we tend to give limiting and limited parameters and confines so that it helps us in our limited human form to understand that and by by me saying this i don't mean this in any negative or insulting way to religion Uh, i think that in most instances religion is a very good thing as long as it's not used uh, as a justification for anger bigotry hatred and violence which you know we're seeing happening now in the middle east right uh so Right. Uh, This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. And I'm speaking with psychic lawyer Mark Anthony. And I have to say Mark is probably the most credible uh, psychic lawyer there is. He might, he might, he's also one of the most credible psychics and mediums in my opinion as well. And so I'm very happy to have him on the show. He's the author of Never Letting Go, and the new book, was it Evidence of or Evidence for Eternity, Mark? Evidence of Eternity. Evidence of Eternity, a new book coming out in March. So we're on this topic, and we have to take a segue there, because you may or may not know, this is one of my favorite topics, which is the topic of finding a scientific basis for spirituality, and my own book, The Collapse of Materialism, is on that topic as well. And I, as I said at the top of the show, I think that that's, that's where things are heading. Some people may not recognize it but in my opinion mark what is happening is that more credible people with are coming to the forefront with this evidence and with these experiences that you mentioned edward casey i mean he he was obviously uh, a great psychic but at in his time he was clearly viewed as an outlier and he's still viewed as an outlier but I think that it's, it's not as much of an outlier as it used to be. And I think it's come in. And I'd, I'd like you to just to talk about that for a little bit. I may have misread the tea leaves, but I, I think that to me is what's promising about our, about our world that we're living in right now. 
Edgar, let me talk just a moment about Edgar Cayce. Uh, For the the listeners who may not be familiar with him, in the metaphysical world, he's sort of our Elvis. (laughs) Okay, he's you know he he's our our big rock star. He was what was known as the sleeping prophet because he there's different types of mediums. There are physical mediums who are able to project an image of the person who is communicating. It's an extremely rare phenomenon. Uh, there are what's known as mental mediums, which uh, of which I am because I am able to see and receive images within my mind to describe the person communicating. And then there are what's known as trance mediums. At least that's what they're referred to uh, in Great Britain. Uh, Here in the U.S., we refer to them as channelers. And so Edgar Cayce would go into a trance-like state, and spirits would basically speak through him. And um, over 300 books have been written about Edgar Cayce. Uh, he brought forth cures for diseases that medical science had no idea on. He could foresee the future. And even though he was looked at as being outside of the norm, he used to meet with President Woodrow Wilson. And uh, Wilson and uh, President Wilson and Mrs. Wilson were avid psychic enthusiasts. And wow, to think that he had access, President Wilson had access to Edgar Casey is just startling. Yeah. So there, there is quite a bit of of um, um, history with Edgar Casey and his predictions and his his cures have been documented, verified. I mean, the, the man was without a doubt the real deal. In in this modern age, we're coming out of the psychic closet, if you will. Because, number one, um, we've been bullied by religious fanatics who parade around as Christians, okay, because true Christians don't judge and cast the first stone, and they're not angry and judgmental, but religious fanatics are, and also that the research has been done, starting with the studies of Dr. Raymond Moody and uh, Dr. Kenneth Ring and Jeffrey Long, all who are the top three near-death experience researchers in the world, all three of which have endorsed my new book evidence of eternity and there is science studying that it appears your consciousness in other words who and what you are survives the 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 physical death of your body so all of these things are coming out now and people are beginning to speak about it and go more mainstream. You have, you know, TV shows where there have been uh, popular mediums on there. Um, you know, I myself have been on several television shows. Uh, most recently on Great Day Houston, uh, they did an entire hour special on me on CBS Television in Houston. Anybody who's interested can go to my website, Never Letting Go. You can see the entire show and and also segments from it there and on my YouTube channel. And I discuss it the way we're discussing it now, Philip. There is a physiological basis for this. There are scientific theories and scientific evidence and medical evidence which back this up. So this is not some fluke and hocus pocus. Are there phonies out there? Are there people with the neon signs who have a hand in the window saying, come and I will remove curse from you? Well, of course. Okay, just like there's lousy lawyers, there's lousy doctors, there's lousy politicians, there's lousy evangelists, and there's but, and and there's and there's lousy scientists. I mean, that's there's oh, that's, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, when I see these organizations to expose pseudoscience, right, and I read what they're saying, okay, Deepak Chopra, 
great spiritualist, uh, great philosopher, came out recently and offered this one uh, crackpot organization a million dollars to to disprove, and he gave like ten statements. He said, I will give you a million dollars if you can disprove, and he went through this whole line. There's a YouTube video on that. So there's a lot of people that run around and say, I'm a scientist, I'm a scientist. The fact of the matter is, what was science 200 years ago um, we now look at as absurd? Or let's go 150, 160 years ago. Radio communications were a theory. In some circles, science fiction and fantasy. Yet by 1900, the Italian scientist Marconi was transmitting radio waves in other words, radio communications from Rome to New York and back again. So just because science can't prove something right now or a test has not been invented to evaluate something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. We see that all the time. I mean, Philip, as attorneys, look what DNA evidence has done in the criminal justice field in the last three decades. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the thing that... Um, people lose sight of is that there's a difference between proving something and having a model to explain it. And that is, to me, where we're at. For example, there's so much research and so much studies out, data, showing that psychic phenomena is real. And for that, I would cite, uh, say, Dean Radin, or the Princeton, I think it's the Princeton Institute uh, for Psychic Phenomena, and all the things that you've done, and Lynn McTaggart, and there's, uh, the, there's so many, there's so much out there proving it's real. The problem is the model of science that we have doesn't have room for it right now, and so that's why, in my opinion, we need to change the model to encompass all phenomena, not just the phenomena that fits into the current scientific model of materialism. So so I think that this is all really interesting and I'm happy that you're you're going in in that direction as well the, in the direction of sort of looking at the evidence of eternity and the evidence supporting spirituality because I think that to the extent we build up the evidence and the and the and the credentials and the factual, logical, evidentiary support for this phenomena. It's going to be more accepted and, in my opinion, more ingrained into our natures. Because if we're right, Mark, that we are spiritual beings, then we might as well take advantage of that and use all of our skill sets rather than be sort of handicapped by this picture that we're only sort of robotic vehicles, uh, as Richard Dawkins would say, uh, geared to propagate our genes. So, so this is all really exciting here. Now, one of the things that we need to talk about is this concept of the afterlife, because you've spent a lot of time on this, and this is one of your, this is one of your specialties. Now, you've distinguished the terms psychic and medium already, and First of all, uh, you, your role as a medium is being able to communicate with the spiritual realm. Is that the way you would put it? Yes. Okay, so, so just like anything else, 
I know this happened at an early age, but why don't you tell us when you first realized you had this this capability? It, it was always there. I always, uh, especially when I was a little little child, around three and four, I started seeing my invisible friends, and I would talk to them. And I remember my parents saying, "You know, Mark, uh, just don't talk about this outside of the house. You can talk yeah. about it to us all you like." Yeah. And then as I got older, and I started, I went to Catholic school, and when I went to Catholic school, I don't want to say it got suppressed, but I think that once you get to school, your mind is focused on other things. Right. And I always, my entire life, had premonitions, I had dreams that came true, I would, you know, uh, feel that there was a spirit around, and then I would say that um, by the time I was in law school, it was very apparent to me that I could detect the presence of spiritual energies around me. And I remember going to this psychic development class. I thought it would be fun. And I said, well, this is what I see. And I said, it feels like a person. And uh, the medium teaching the class goes, well, you're, you're perceiving and communicating with a spirit. I said, so that's what that is. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I thought everybody did this. And they yeah. said, oh, no, no, no. And then uh, the, the, the teacher said, you are functioning on a level we've never seen before. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, come on. You're yeah. just, they said, no. They said, we have never seen anyone uh, function as as um, intensely as you do. They said, it is apparently you um, have inherited this ability. And so it just intensified as I got older and I began working with it. Yeah. So, okay. Now, what does this tell us about the world we live in? Many, so many people, and it's happened to me, and I, I, I almost say it happens to everybody when a, when a close relative or friend passes away. We always have this thought in our head, is there some way to communicate with this person? And so what, what, what does this what does this tell us about our world, Mark, that, that this is actually possible? Well, in, in Never Letting Go, I, I go into great detail about how to recognize when our loved ones and spirit are near. And when somebody we love dies, you correctly pointed out how people really want to be able to communicate with them. I think the greatest fear, Philip, is that somebody we loved so much disintegrated into nothingness. Right. Nothing is farther from the truth. Their consciousness survives their physical death. Um, all, everybody does. Our beloved animals do. All, all life forms, anything alive has an energy field. And we know from physics that energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred. Now, I've heard the naysayers, oh, well, yeah, but it doesn't really, uh, so they can never give me a plausible explanation as to what happens to that energy after it leaves the body. They sort of, sort of like it sprinkles all over the lawn like a sprinkler and somehow it's a, you know, fertilizer. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's not. It retains um, a coherence and a cohesion. And... The other side is is uh, pure energy. It appears to be a multitude of dimensions. This very primitive um, heaven and hell thing that uh, the Judeo-Christian and Islamic uh, uh, religious traditions embrace appears not to be the case. Yet before I shoot them out of the water, 
what does appear to be the case is that there are more than there is more than one dimension more than one level to the other side in other words people that are doing what they should be doing and are real positive go into higher frequencies for lack of a better way of describing it negative people go into lower frequencies but they're not static states people can evolve and 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 uh, emerge from uh, let's say the the lower lower frequencies into a more positive realm so but as far as this um, this medieval uh, concept of a, an, an eternal pit of flame with some jerk running around with a pitchfork, I mean that's just you know that's yeah. just primitive superstitious nonsense. But there is most definitely an afterlife, and what does it tell us about our world here? What it tells us is what Buddha said is that it's the impermanence. Everything is temporary at least in the material world sense. So what we have to realize though also is that everything we do has consequences and repercussions. All too often we see these people that seem to lead, lead these lives of luxury and they didn't work for it or you see these monsters running around the Middle East beheading innocent and unarmed people and thinking well gee you know doesn't anything happen to them. Everything you do comes back to you. Um, whether you want to call that the law of karma or um, uh, the law of physics. Right. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. It, it is a truth. So the material world appears to be a place that we come to experience a whole myriad, a whole variety of physical, emotional, and spiritual experiences. And how we deal with them and how we process them has a direct impact on where we're going after this realm. So when we have to cope with the death of a loved one and let's face it that is the most painful and difficult thing any of us have to deal with Let, let's take a parent who loses a child that is the most insidious the most horrific pain imaginable yeah. and you can you can't change the fact that it happened what you have to focus on is how you react to it Right. If you want to turn into a drug addict, alcoholic, predatorial behavior, that's a choice. If you want to help other people similarly situated become a deeper, more compassionate, understanding person and realize that life or what we call life is just a temporary um, state, then you chances are you are doing what you should be doing here. So it tells us a lot about the material world that there is an afterlife and what we call life is extremely important it is a privilege to be here and how we govern ourselves here has a lot to do with what happens in the world to come this is philip camello this is conversations beyond science and religion i'm happy to be speaking with mark anthony also known as a psychic lawyer the author of the book never letting go Heal Grief with Help from the Other Side, and the upcoming book, Evidence of Eternity, due out in March. And Mark, I think that was, I think that was very well put, and I, I have a lot of my own views on this, many of which complement yours, because I think one of the things that we forget about is that we are an evolving spirit, and I think that you, you yourself um, say that, you use the word evolve, uh, in your book, but I also think that we are also learning to understand who we are, 
and it's it's we are sort of moving up the mountain with the with the big spirit but we're we're getting pictures of it and moving to a higher level of understanding and i think one of the things one of the mistakes that people make and this would i would i would put this into the orthodox religion realm is that they think that they understand the will of god you know they, they you know they think they you know they think they understand everything when when I don't even think God understands everything. I mean, I think that we are gradually sort of ascending to to not only a higher spiritual state, and by that I mean a happier state as well, but we're also learning more. And I think I think that that is that is very important because um, it's it's sort of consistent with the scientific mindset as well which is that science, as we continue to hear, is a self-correcting field where it's always evolving, always changing, um, even though, as we've just discussed with its acceptance of the paranormal, it's sort of made up its mind that it doesn't want to accept the paranormal. But let me, let me ask you a question that comes up all the time on, the, on this other realm, and that is, do you think that this, a physical being dying on this in this realm in this dimension um, will that their spirit sort of is embodied in this other realm as opposed to being just dipped and poured back into the ocean of spirits and I don't know if, if that's clear to you but but I I've always had this question about whether that that spirit sort of is in is in physical form in some kind of other physical form or whether it just sort of mixes together uh, out there uh, and that question is important for reincarnation as well I actually have written a chapter about that in my upcoming book hmm. um, gosh I, I, I wish uh, <laughs> I almost wish you'd save that question for when the new okay. book's well, coming well, out but, um, but, well you give but, us a preview and then we'll do this again when the new book comes okay. out um, I believe that consciousness is is our in other words our true gift from god is our uniqueness and that when we die we go into a collective consciousness yet we still remain an individual and we can remove ourselves from that collective consciousness so it's both yeah we're both individual and and um part of a collective mind and I really like what you said about how orthodox and fundamentalist religions get into, well, we know the mind of God, and we're right, and you're wrong, and you're evil, and you're bad, and you're an abomination, and you're this, and you're that, and you're going to burn in hell because I said so. Right. And I'm thinking, you know, there's a big difference between being righteous and being self-righteous. Right. And all too often, uh, religious people are anything but righteous. They are self-righteous. They have appointed themselves God's representative where they get to smite, cast judgment, and cast out people that they disagree with. And nothing could be further from what God is. If God wanted all of us to be the same, then we would be like a school of fish right. that were all the same size, the same color, and reacted to light, dark, and predatorial stimuli in the same manner. Right, but, right. But we're not. Right, and and that is a that is a uh, a courageous statement, and it's one that I support uh, fully. And you sort of alluded to it earlier, and 
you know, this show is called Conversations Beyond Science and Religion in part because I don't want to, and I did not want to be sort of restricted by orthodox interpretations of either science or religion when having conversations with people like Mark Anthony. But what what comes across here uh, is, and you, and you mentioned it on the karma realm, is that I don't think that there is a quote-unquote God overhead rendering judgment on people and telling them and, and directing what realm of consciousness they go into, what realm of heaven or hell. I think it's a natural part of the world we live in. I think that karma, or whatever you want to call it, is a natural function of the world. If we are one un, un, uh, collective unconsciousness, one mind, one God, we're part of one thing, then to the extent we deviate from that path, something bad's going to happen. And that's, that is what I mean by coming to understand who we are. We, we are on a journey to understand that. And the people that say they know the will of God and you, and you just had three beers and therefore you're going to go to hell is one heck of a sort of arrogant interpretation because they're putting themselves in, in the place of God and, and directing how people should live their lives way beyond any, any authorization to, make, to, to have that kind of or education or experience and make those kinds of judgments. What, one of my favorite shows is The Big Bang Theory. Right. And uh, Sheldon and his girlfriend Amy, he was talking, Sheldon was talking about being born in East Texas and how we had to go to church every Sunday. And his very logical girlfriend says to him, I have no problem with the concept of a deity, yet I do take exception with one who requires attendance. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that sort of says it all, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. That's yeah. Sort of... You didn't go to church, ergo, you're going to burn in hell. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I know. It's sort of. It's it's sort of. There's a certain amount of how can I put that. Um, I'm going to put a business sense to that one, but I'll, I'll leave I'll leave that aside now. I want to touch upon a a fascinating topic, which is this notion of ascended masters, and because I think that uh, some people lose sight of the fact that when you're in this kind of conversation we're in, or we write books like you do, or books that I write, articles, etc., that we're somehow uh, distancing, distancing ourselves from the founders of the great religions. That somehow this is some kind of new age theory that is apart from the great religious traditions. And and I, I personally don't think that's true, but you, you talk a little bit in your book about uh, say Buddha, St. Francis, Gandhi, Mother Teresa as entering a higher frequency than most people because they were so evolved spiritually and they and, yes. and can you just talk a little bit about in your world picture how how you see these great religious leaders where they fit into your world picture when I talk about ascended masters I believe in, in earlier you talked about how consciousness and, and being able to go into a collective consciousness and then remove itself from that could be related to reincarnation I believe that we all lead a succession of lifetimes and there appear to be several people 
like like the Mother Teresa's, St. Francis, uh, Yogananda, um, Jesus most certainly, Buddha, uh, Krishna, who led these intensely spiritual lives. And they put their self, their ego, their self-centered view of the universe completely aside. That, that really is the point of all religions in the philosophical sense, that it is not about the ego, it is not about the person, it is about total selflessness yeah. and giving of yourselves to others. I mean, Mother Teresa, can you think of a less self-centered person? Right. Okay, uh, same thing when you look at uh, the life of St. Francis, and uh, and uh, certainly Buddha was all about blowing the self out, as if, you know, the ego is a candle that you must blow out, and through that lack of desire and ambition and drive and control and manipulation, then you will come to a point of inner peace. And the great teachings of all these people have a universal message. It all comes down to a golden rule. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you or do to others what you would have them do to you. It is all about peace and love and understanding. I love the way Mother Teresa said, how could any war be holy? Right. You know, you get these jihadists around, holy war, holy war, holy war. It's like, no. Yeah. no you know, no, no true spirituality justifies murder and killing and destruction right. it, it simply doesn't so the people who came into this this um, existence and taught us these things and showed us by example I believe that and, and I'm not alone in this belief that when they physically died their spirits went into a higher dimension a higher realm and that's why they're called ascended masters because they've ascended into the light yet they are able to connect with us here they act in a guidance manner uh, having been raised Catholic the Catholic religion is full of ascended masters we call them saints right um, even people of non-Catholic Christian belief systems uh, recognize angels Billy Graham wrote a great book on on angels and uh, there appear to be different types of angels I don't want to get into a whole angelic uh, discussion but angels are in my understanding they were never human human spirits will never become angels that doesn't mean humans and angels don't get along really well on the other side and that doesn't mean that they can't work together really well um, but they act as spiritual influences and guides to us and an ascended master particularly one on the level of Jesus have a multi-dimensional capability where they can appear in what we consider to be several different locations at the same time uh, I like the way, they, the way Hindus look at things. They believe that God has come into human form many times to walk amongst us and does on a regular basis. Christians say, no, it's only one time. It was Jesus. If you don't believe him, you know, then you know, you're wrong. And uh, the Hindus look at Jesus as what they call another avatar, an avatar being an ascended master as opposed to the James Cameron blue people running around on Pandora. Um, <laughs> but but – um, and um, as as a great teacher to bring messages of peace and love and understanding, uh, the really sad thing is, no matter what the ascended masters try to teach humanity, it seems that basic human nature, which is the ego, the the lust, the anger, the aggression, really 
contradicts that. In other words, the Ascended Masters teach us to overcome our primeval, animalistic, violent, uh, ego-driven, self-absorbed behaviors for a greater good. And is there hope for humanity? Doesn't look like it, <laughs> but that doesn't mean we still shouldn't try. Yeah, well, I, I have an article I'm just about done with, uh, and it's it's called the working title is from here uh from here to paradise in six uh, in six steps or something like that but but one of the things that i think we need to get over to reach a better world is to understand that negativity is not a permanent human condition and it's so so many people think oh the world is not in a good place it's always going to be like this and my, my response to that is, well, how do you know that? I mean, that you, you have to have hope. Um, the, the question that I, I want to make sure I ask you uh, before I move to the end here is when you, well, well, can anybody be a candidate for your mediumship? In other words, do you... Is, is it is it having the openness to to be read that allows you to do your thing or is it take a, a certain kind of a person to be a workable candidate that's an interesting question I believe that I can read just about anybody but whether or not they'll be receptive to it because some people come to me and they're very open and very desirous of, of communication and so we have no problem then I get people who are very open and desirous but they're an expert on it and so everything that I say they immediately have to contradict it and and say oh no it means this it means that and let me tell you something they're more of a problem than the people that sit there with their arms folded going I don't believe this right what you have to do when you go into a reading is be open be accepting check your expectations at the door um, it's also very good to be familiar with the people you know in your life who have died, what the circumstances surrounding their deaths were, what they died from, and significant dates. Not because you are to supply the medium with that information, but if the medium brings up, like, I'm getting this date or this, this week, this time frame, does this make sense to you in any way? And you get a glazed look from someone who goes, I don't know, I don't know anything about anyone in my family that died. I mean, I actually did a reading for somebody once, and I started describing how this woman's father died. And I said, all right, is that how he died? And she goes, I don't know. I said, well, were you estranged from your father? No, he lived down the, down the street from me, and he died. I said, well, do you know how he died? No. I go, why not? I don't know. I never asked. <laughs> yeah. And I know that sounds shocking, but you'd be surprised how many people don't do that. And the reason is that the medium is to bring forth information, which is to be validated uh, by, by the person receiving the message. So the more open you are to it and the, the less confrontational, because you're not here to play test the psychic. Right. Um, and you're not there to antagonize the meeting. Because I've had people, well, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. If you can't answer these, you're a fraud. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but it's not texting or instant messaging. It's a vibrational energy transfer from a different dimension where spirit, that is pure consciousness, is vibrating to me waves of frequency. That frequency hits the electrical field in my brain. Those electrical impulses then go into my brain and get translated into recognizable concepts based on my memories, feelings, cultural references, and experiences. 
That's how it works. Yeah. It isn't, oh, let me text you something. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think I think that's that's really that's really well put, and we don't have enough people in your field who put it like that. Well, and with with all due respect to my colleagues, a lot of them don't understand it. Yeah. Um, there's a very high profile medium, and I will not mention any names. And when this person's on talk shows and and is asked how does this work, you get this goofy laugh followed by I don't know. Well, yeah. I do know. And yeah. there are mediums out there who do understand this, who approach this not only with the reverence of a sacrament, as I do, but also with the objectivity of a science, scientist. Yeah. And that's how it has to. It's not a parlor trick. It's not a form of entertainment. It's not a goofy reality show topic. This is um, communication with with um, discarnate intelligence, in other words, the consciousness of people who no longer reside in a body, who are on a different frequency energetically, and that communication is possible. What this tells us about our world is, truly, we are spirits having a material world existence, and once our material body ceases to function, it is not unusual, it is not ridiculous, it is not phony, that we as people with spirits who are in other words we as spirits with bodies rather can detect the presence of spirits who do not have bodies yeah and for those who who uh doubt this and i think that one of the issues we continue to have is this whole notion of who who's controlling sort of the rangefinder or the viewfinder through which we see the world and we tend to uh, catalog uh, psychic phenomena, mediumship as some some outlier, but that's only because, in my opinion, we we are still in the Newtonian world model. But but I go back again to the beginning and say that science itself is so fraught with mystery i.e., how did the world begin? How did it arrange itself in the mathematical order? How did life begin? Why, why uh, are we so positioned vis-a-vis uh, -vis the sun that life prospers? There's so many unanswered questions, and I, I, I could go on and on, but there's so many unanswered questions that we, we forget that we, and this is me talking, that we forget we're living in a, in a miraculous, magical world. And that, Mark, what you're talking about, in my opinion, is simply recognizing part of that magic and not and not packaging it as some kind of bizarre, you know, um, quackery or something. This is part of the world we live in, and if and I am optimistic that if we continue um, talking about it, continue writing books, and continue having real world experiences, soon we'll realize that this is part of our essence. I think that's 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 where I hope things will go. I, I'm I'm hoping so too, and I think there are many indications we are headed that way, but we're going to get a lot of resistance from uh, religious fundamentalists who are afraid that their control is being broken down. And the problem is, religions tend to be very controlling, and what they tell people is that. We have dominance over the route to the afterlife through our clerics and through our dogma. And if you don't give us this money and your subservience, then you will not get there. Yeah. 
Right. And once again, there is no problem with being a member of a religion which works for you. But when it starts becoming about control and about um, using that religion as a means and a justification for anger, bigotry, hatred, or violence, then that has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with the human ego. Right, right. And and I also think on that score that the the folks who are religious who oppose this are are forgetting the big picture what what i'm trying to do and i think what you're saying is to give re, is to authenticate the underlying principles of religion to show that they are true but they're not true in the sense of big business of making religion into a big business of 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 having sort of the um the a, a monopoly on the road to heaven. This is about making it real for us uh, in this world. So uh, we have quickly come to the end, and I, I want to underscore something here that has been common to our discussion, Mark, that uh, we didn't focus on, but you're, you're being a lawyer, I'm a lawyer. It, it To me, folks, this is... Uh, to me, this is critical thinking. See, I, I tell people that I apply the same kind of thinking to spirituality as I do to science or religion or anything else, or a legal problem. It's critical thinking. And I think that we need, as a society, to question not only the things from science and from spirituality, but also from big religion. And it's, it's, it's that something I think that's missing, is, is, this, is this use of our power of critical thinking. So hopefully that's something you would sign on to because I think that that is that is what I think separates you from so many in your field. Uh, thank you, and uh, I um, I believe that you have to approach uh, spirituality not only from an emotional standpoint but also from an intellectual standpoint because there's a reason we've been giving been given the gray matter that we've been given it isn't just about feeling it is also about understanding right right exactly and and mark uh quickly if you could tell folks i mean i've looked at your website it's a really entertaining website why don't you tell folks uh quickly how to get uh in touch with you or to learn more about you and and your new book and other stuff you're doing if you go to neverlettinggo.com, that's the word never, and then letting, L-E-T-T-I-N-G, go, same title as my book, .com, then you will find out how to schedule a reading with me. You can watch interviews of me on television and of me conducting readings for people. You can schedule a reading with me through the website. And also, for those of you who are suffering with the death of a loved one, there's a section on the website referred to as grief management. And this will uh, lay out several coping strategies and techniques for dealing with the death of a loved one. And, of course, my book, Never Letting Go, which is on sale worldwide. And my website will tell, you know, you can get it at Barnes and & Noble and all independent bookstores and online as well, is the perfect gift to give to somebody who has lost a loved one. Flowers wither and fade after a few days, but the healing that they'll get from never letting go lasts a lifetime. Yeah, that that's great. And once again, uh, I I think that of all the uh, the psychics, mediums, I mean, I think Mark Anthony is, I would, I 
probably put him at the top of the list because of what you heard on today's show. Uh, we have both understanding and logic uh, going on at the same time. And to, and to sort of uh, bring things to a, a conclusion here, I, I think at the end of the day, this, this idea that there is life after death, another dimension to our world, tells us something. Tells us something about our world. I personally think that is it is a source of hope, and and something that we need to spend some time really thinking about and bringing into our lives. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next week been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.